We'll start our message here, God's law of love from the book of Romans. And we're in Romans chapter 13. We've been looking at this book now for a long time. And we're in the practical section of the book. The last part of the book is the, the practical aspect of how Christianity should play out and what it should look like. You're back to that statement that I've made before, that what you really, really, really believe you will do. And it's important as we have gone through the doctrinal section and looked at our core beliefs, very important things, and found in this book of Romans, of course, you have all the major doctrines of the faith, and we've looked at that as we've gone through it. But you come to this part, and previous in chapter 12 as well, and you have this uh, outplaying of our faith, how we are to live in regards to ourselves and God, but also how we're to live in regards to God and others all right, around us. And tonight we're going to look at this law of love, and that's what it is found in these three verses. And we'll begin there, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Paul writes here, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Our Father, we come before you thanking you for this great book that is opened before us again. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for giving it to us in our language. Lord, as we look at it tonight, I pray that you would open up our hearts and we would, we would truly learn of you. We thank you for your matchless love, un, really unbounded grace that is given to us, Lord. And we ask that even tonight as we look to you, that you would fill our hearts with that love that is from Christ himself. In Jesus' name, amen. Keeping in mind that question that I kind of asked you a little while ago, I came across this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote this, he says, Human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. Spiritual love loves him for Christ's sake. Therefore, human love seeks direct contact with the other person. Uh, it loves him not as a free person, but as one whom it binds to itself. It wants to gain, to capture by every means. It uses force. It desires to be irresistible, to rule. And I thought about that because... Really, in the center of that little uh, statement that he made, spiritual love loves him for Christ's sake. That's why we are able to love others. And in the midst of this little uh, discourse that Paul's writing, he, he turns right there and he talks about love, right? Talks about really the chief thing. And we've already looked at this theme before in other passages in the book of Romans. But I want to look at it because there's something very therapeutic, I think, about being reminded it is the love of Christ and loving others for him and because of him that should, um, well, put our world in perspective. And we live in a very unloving world in many ways, a world that uses the term loosely, and they might say, oh, there's lots of love, and I'm sure today there were lots of Mother's Day cards passed around the world, and um, they, all, you know, hopefully all said, love you, you know, and there is that idea of loving someone, but it's probably, in most cases, fairly easy to love somebody who's in your family, or easier anyways, maybe it isn't. 
but to love a mother, someone who is uh, the, fa- the mother of, of your child or other children or your, mo- your own mother, that, that's easier to say. But what about loving somebody who you've never met or never seen, you don't even know exists maybe? Someone that, like we talked about, filling a shoebox and sending that off with prayers and just trusting God's going to bring it to the right person. Those kind of things. Well, love does uh, a, a wonder for us. And um, there was a psychiatrist, Dr. Carl Menninger, he said it this way. Uh, he said, love cures. It cures those who give it and it cures those who receive it. And of course, that is in many ways a, a very true statement, isn't it? Well, I want to look at this text, and we don't have a lot of time tonight, but I want to go down through it and look at a few things here. First one is found right here in verse 10, where, uh, actually, sorry, verse, uh, verse 8, that's what I'm beginning, uh, whoops, I back up here one, and we're going to look at uh, the very f- uh, beginning of that, where it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law, and the first point is love is an unpaid debt. It is. It is an unpaid debt. And it really is interesting how he writes here, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. It's the, the, the only thing that we are really required to pay back or try to pay back in that form. And oh, no one anything, that's a negative command, okay? But then Paul he really picks it up from the previous section in dealing with taxes and paying taxes and that kind of thing and brings the debt of money and taxes now to a debt of love, okay? And how one is, uh, well, more important than the other for sure. But nevertheless, it's all part of the way God shows or demonstrates his love toward us, doesn't he, in that? And... Um, it does not mean that we should never borrow money necessarily. Um, definitely money is uh, there, but you remember that if you borrow money, you're a slave to the lender, aren't you? And the book of Proverbs talks about that, that as well. But what was taught in scripture is that we are to be honest above all, and we are to pay back that which we owe uh, wherever possible and with diligence in doing that. And that's really what the, te- the scripture teaches. But we're going to look at this topic of love and look at it a little bit more. Uh, and in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 19, verse 18, the Bible says this. It says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That statement, and according to Christ, really all the law hangs on that statement. That we're to love our neighbor as ourselves you say well why should i do that because he's god i am the lord he says he reminds them of that and he reminded of them over and over again of his unconditional love for them in that whole process and we really have a debt of love that we owe to one another and to the lord himself because he first loved us right and it's not something you can ever fully pay back that's for sure we'll never love like christ loves we'll never love truly like god loves but yet he does allow Christians to demonstrate that love and to love in a way that only Christ can do. And that's why I say when you look at, um, I just used Samaritan's Purse as an example tonight. There's many, many other examples I could use and many historical examples. But it's generally Christians who are the ones who go out and they reach out to the world's lost and destitute and those that have been abandoned by society 
and ascribe value to them, not in a sense that they, they have money attached to them, because most of them don't, but rather because God ascribes value. And if you understand his love, he loves, he loves the, the whole world, doesn't he? And that is something that uh, when we get a hold of that, I think it will change how we think and how we do things. Love is a debt that really we owe, and it's coupled with that. And it's understanding this way that God loved us so much that it's, he really loves us in a, in a way that we can never repay him. So the debt that we owe him is not something we ever will repay. God lavished his love upon us through Christ. And that's earlier in the book of Romans, right? But God commendeth his love toward us in the while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. If you want to know how much God loves us, you know, you ever play that game with a, with a child, right? How much do you love me? Well, I love you this much. How much? Really? I love you this much. I love you more, right? And there's a little book I used to have to read, uh, well, I did read to uh, our kids, uh, to the love you to the moon and back or something like that. I can't remember if that was the title of it or not, but we used to read that all the time. And it was about a little boy who talked about loving his mother and he loved her to the moon and back. That's pretty far. But you know what? We really don't even, even if you could love somebody to the moon and back, we don't even begin to scrape the surface of how much God loves us and how he's demonstrated that love in the very fact that he would go and he his, well, gave his only begotten son for us in that. That's the gospel message. God calls us to love even the unlovely people of the world. This is where it's a little harder. It's easier to love somebody when you know you can get some kind of reward back, even if it's just the sense of fulfillment that I've helped feed somebody today or I've put clothes on their back or I've done something nice for them. There's sort of a reward in that because people do it all the time and they don't necessarily do it because they're Christians. But it goes, the love of Christ goes beyond that and it even goes to the place where we would love people that hate us. Or would rather see us not, you know, even on this earth. And that's why Christ could say, love your enemies, right? That's a little harder. I have to ask God to do that because there's days that there are people that I would rather not love in my own human heart. But the Lord is able to do that and to turn us to that. That's, and, and the church history is filled with all kinds of examples of people who uh, went and did that. I, my, one that comes to mind almost every time uh, immediately is the story of the Aka Five, as they called it in that day, but the Wadani people. And you had those five missionaries in uh, 1956 that went uh, and reached out to the Wadani people in Ecuador, and they were killed. They were killed and murdered, and their bodies left there in the river, all right? And those men that went to reach out, um, they, they did so with the hope that they would reach that group of people for Christ. All contact with the Wadani people had been, and they were known as Aka there in the, the local dialect, which meant savage. And they called themselves Wadani. We know that because they eventually were reached for Christ. And you have the account there, and you can read it in all kinds of different books, but uh, Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her husband Jim there, and he was murdered. Um, you have Rachel, or um, excuse me, uh, not Rachel Saint, that was the sister, but um, 
no, he had Nate Saint, but his wife, I can't remember her name now. But anyways, she wrote several books as well. She was later married to a man named Abe Vanderpoy. I can remember that, but I can't remember her first name for some reason tonight. Uh, all those different, you know, the, the books that are out there. Also, uh, Steve Saint, the son of Nate Saint, has written uh, several things, did some films and some documentaries, and has given his testimony in concert with like Stephen Curtis Chapman and others. But so there's a lot of what I'm saying, a lot of information that's out there. And it's, it's neat because the same people that would go to kill some of those men or did kill those men later as they were converted, and they were converted by the ministry of the widows, all right, that went in afterwards. And these women went in and took up where their husbands left off. I can't imagine having someone who's murdered your husband then going and ministering to them. And that's exactly what they did. And that group of people has been reached for Christ. Not entirely, entirely, but, but many of them in that. And in those early days, they were reached. And, and it's weird if you think about it, because the people that murdered your family uh, were the ones that they loved so much they wanted to go back and do that. And God worked it all out. It's absolutely amazing how he did that. And they give over and over again, the people who were involved in that gave testimony to the fact that the Lord allowed them to love the Wadani people in ways that no one else could understand, you know, unless you had gone through it and experienced it. But that's how God loves, doesn't he? The same people that were killing him, uh, the ones that had actually placed him there on the cross, I realize he died for all of us and in my sin put him in the cross, but are the same ones when he said, Father, forgive them, right? For they know not what they do. Uh, demonstrating the heart of love. Love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. And I go back to um, verses 8 and 9 here. He says, Oh, no one anything except the love uh, to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he goes on to say this, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what Paul is writing here, he's referring directly to those commandments that we often call the Ten Commandments that are recorded there in Leviticus. And prior to that, you had Leviticus in 19 there about loving your neighbor as yourself. And you really could eliminate, and I shouldn't say that you don't necessarily have to eliminate, but the do nots on those things, uh, the covenant there, uh, the uh, tablets, it says, you shall not commit adultery, for example. Well, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you wouldn't have to say, I won't commit adultery because you won't, okay? Because you're not going to go over there and sleep with their husband or wife, right? You shall not murder. Truly, if you love somebody, you won't murder them, okay? You shall not steal. That's another one. I think of that because we live in a world where, you know, we all have locks on our doors and locks on our cars and locks all around. You imagine a world where you didn't have to have any of those things. And in some ways, we live in a very relatively safe and low crime area. You probably can get away without locking your house and your cars, but there's still thefts that occur right here in Madawaska and probably would invite, you know, people to come steal things. And, and sad to say, some of them are neighbors, okay? And the reality is this, don't let it be you. Because the Christian should be able to live next to their neighbor in a community and that neighbor should never have to worry about them you know, you going over and stealing something from them or taking something or violating 
a, a, a covenant or something like that in doing that. Love fulfills the law. And he's, that's why he says that they are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, all, and really, the, all the uh, thou shalt nots, as you could put them, ultimately flow from love. And so the law itself, although it doesn't teach us to love, it, it really, um, in keeping it, is best kept as the outflow of love from us in that. Love does not harm others. That's the third point. Here in verse 9, you know, talks about these things. And these are all laws that are given so that we don't harm someone else. Or man doesn't harm someone else. God had to do that. Why? Because man was breaking the law. And then when you say, you shall not commit adultery, guess what? A lot of heartache, a lot of hurts go on with someone who commits adultery. You shall not murder, right? Lots of heartache, lots of hurts that go on with that. You shall not steal, you shall not covet. All those different areas are all part of that. And yet love does not harm others. Really, we could be free from the law if we would only um, really live that out in that way. I think that's why Jesus used a very familiar story to kind of drive this whole thing home. And it really goes with what we're looking at here tonight in Luke's Gospel. And let's see if I can find it here. Where am I? In my notes. Randy, if you can call up Luke. I don't know where it is now. <laughs> Luke 10, there we go. Luke 10, 25 to 37. Yeah, all right. We have the story here of the Good Samaritan. And... I want to read down through that because Jesus talks about the law here. He talks about neighbors. Actually, the question ends up, really, who is your neighbor? And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and testing him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Good question, right? You're a lawyer. You tell me what the law says, okay? He goes on to say this. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He spoke correctly there, didn't he? This lawyer. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Only one problem. They weren't doing this. Okay? And Jesus takes a story and he drives it home in this parable that he talks about. But he, wanting to justify him, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That sounds like a lawyer. Throw the question back at the the, uh, teacher, right? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on by the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, or the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, uh uh-oh, boom, right there. The Jews who were present, and this lawyer, who was a Jewish man, immediately that word Samaritan would have stood out to him. Because you know what? 
The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Not only did they avoid the territory of Samaria, they didn't even go near it, and uh, they, they didn't even talk about the Samaritans, and they didn't even name the Samaritans by name. Jesus did, though. He says there was a certain Samaritan. Oh, boy, this lawyer steps back. I can see him. He just he takes it back a little bit further. And it says he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Interesting word for compassion. In the Hebrew, the word for compassion, this is in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, it comes from the same word as womb. Okay? The root of it is womb. It's the compassion a mother would have on their baby. thought that's appropriate for Mother's Day, you know? Could speak on the compassion of the Lord. Well, this Samaritan has compassion on this stranger who's left to die on the side of a road. And so he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He pouring on oil and wine and he sat him on his own animal brought him to an inn and he took care of him on the next day when they when he departed he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said to him take care of him and whatever more you spend when i come again i will repay you so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves and he said he who showed mercy on him you notice the lawyer didn't even say the word Samaritan. He, he could have said the Samaritan. He said, he who showed mercy on him, you know. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Only problem was it was hard for the Jews to do that. You see, you could say, uh, I won't do this, I won't do that, all this. But when it came to a law, I think this man, the lawyer and the Levite and the priest that were mentioned, all those they would have done something if the Lord had said, Thou shalt help people who are half dead by the road. They would have gladly gone and done that. But he didn't say it that way. He said, Love your neighbor as yourself. Their only thing is their worldview was so isolated and small that they didn't look beyond their own people. And they didn't see the neighborhood beyond Israel, or I say into Samaria, because, you see, into Samaria, the Samaritans, they, were, they didn't consider them their neighbors. Interesting how Jesus gives the Great Commission. Remember, in Acts, they're to go into all the world, right? And, uh, but in, in the book of Acts, he talks about them tearing at Jerusalem, right? Until the Holy Spirit's given. But then he goes and, you know, tells them the scope of the ministry. They're to go out into Judea. And then what's the next one? Samaria, right? And they're to go out into Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. And that word, you know, that, that part of Samaria, that would have been hard also for the Jewish people who had just become, you know, Christians. And it would have been hard for them to just go out and, um, and to go to Samaria. And yet that was, you know, Christ's example already. Of course, Christ went to Samaria and there was the account in John's gospel of the woman at the well. He lived what he spoke, didn't he? When others even would go all the way around Samaria so they wouldn't have to deal with it, they wouldn't have to speak of it. Interesting, he uses the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's quite a road. It passes uh, about 3,500 feet in elevation. It drops from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So if you're coming uphill, you have to come uphill one way or the other. But it's about 22 miles. So it's quite a journey. And can you imagine as this man is found on the side of the road and this 
this man, this Samaritan comes along and takes care of him and binds up his wounds and puts him on his own animal. And I can picture that, you know, it would have been quite a journey for a man to have to walk now. And he didn't have to do any of that. Didn't have to do that. But he did. Would you have stopped? Would I have stopped? You know, I'd hope I would if I saw somebody on the side of the road. It's interesting that today, uh, with all the uh, technology that we have, sometimes tragic things will happen. Somebody will get hit by a car or be beat up or some major event takes place. And people are quick to grab their phones and record what's going on, but not quick to jump in. I think it'd be a little different around here, but I, I do see that more in our society. And we would do well to go back and say, love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't by chance that this happened either. It wasn't by chance that that lawyer stood up asking Christ a question. It wasn't by chance that Christ had this story of the Good Samaritan. And I don't think it's a made-up story. You know, He's not pulling this out of the air. This is a true story that took place. And he uses that story to drive home a point about the law and doing that. Would you leave him to die? I came across this little statement that Ray Pritchard has. He got it from someone else, but it said this little modern day parable. Once upon a time, a man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A sensitive person came along and said, I feel for you down there. A practical person came along and said, I knew you were going to fall in sooner or later. A Pharisee said, Oh, bad people fall into a pit. A mathematician calculated how far he had fallen, okay, but continued on. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on the pit. An IRS agent asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A mystic said, just imagine that you're not in a pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. The truth is this, that we live in a world that is, uh, is in a pit, isn't it? And they'll never get out unless someone reaches down. <coughs> someone is able to deliver them out of that pit, and that's Jesus. How are they going to know him except someone brings the message to them? <coughs> My voice is about giving out, so I think I'll quit here. Father, <coughs> we thank you for the word of God. <coughs> we thank you for giving it to us. And we ask, Lord, that you would just help us to love Christ Help us to love our neighbors as we should. In Jesus' name, amen.